0: All right, thank you very much. Let's uh, turn to Ephesians and chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll read the first six verses. The first six verses. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, brethren, if you've been coming, you will know that we have been looking at uh, this book under the theme celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ we began last week after a break a season in which we were looking at uh, the anatomy of uh, false repentance from first samuel and chapter 15. And so all we did was to come back to uh, the series that we had begun much earlier when we had looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. What we did last time was to spend quite a bit of time looking at the context of the entire chapter. And you will recall, if you were here, that uh, I mentioned that really what we have in chapter 3 verse 1 is Paul wanting to say that this is the prayer that I am making for you. But he breaks off and goes into a detour and only comes back to it in verse 14 when he then says, for this reason I bow my knees before God the Father. That's really what he was beginning to say. However, when he said, I, and then describes himself as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, he then spends some time opening up that second part, this Paul who is now a prisoner. Why has this happened? Is this a disaster? And so on. And all he does now is to show us, first of all, his unique calling, the calling that is his, not only his, but also his fellow apostles. But he spends time talking about himself because his specific and unique calling is to the Gentiles, to minister the gospel to the Gentiles. Other apostles may have their own place elsewhere, but for him, it was a ministry to the Gentiles. And having done that, we went on to look specifically at verse 1 to verse 3. And essentially, in applying what we saw from the Apostle Paul's unique calling, we mentioned the fact that um, all of us, in a sense, have the a stewardship of grace. We all do, because we are gifted differently. God himself has given us gifts, different gifts and to different degrees. And basically, he expects us to be responsible stewards, because that's not meant to make a name for ourselves, it's meant for others. As Paul himself puts it here. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Given to me for you. So my role is that of simply ensuring I am a good steward of that grace. And as I said, is to do with levels of giftedness and a variety of gifts in order for the church to reach the world what we saw that was peculiar about paul and his fellow apostles and the new testament prophets was god revealing um, the mystery to them how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So there was something unique about the apostolic gift that was given to them. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us can go to sleep and say, well, me is just, I'm going to heaven, let me enjoy myself in the meantime and just sort of keep away from messing up my life. No, God has gifted each one of us and we ought to make sure that we are deliberately busy utilizing the gifts of grace in order to benefit the church and the world. Well, today we move on to look at uh, God's revealed and universal agenda, that which had been revealed to the apostles and the prophets, the Uh, universal agenda of God, his agenda of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And especially as we are thinking in terms of celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ, it's only important for us to pause and drink this reality in that the creator of the universe the governor of all history, is one that is doing something. Even as we are busy with our own little lives, occupied with all kinds of concerns, let's bear in mind that this world, in terms of its what we call its natural laws, is in the hands of someone who is driving it to a desired end, and that desired end has been revealed in Scripture. It's been made known so that we, in the midst of all the details of our lives, can know where this ship is going. And we can begin to celebrate now, because we know that you can be sure that this ship will reach its final destination. Let's quickly go on then and see at least two points from verse 4 and up to verse 6. First of all, it is the fact that the Christian faith is a revealed faith. It is not one that you arrive at by reason, although it is reasonable let me say that again the christian faith is a revealed faith in other words somebody has made us to peep into the answer sheet so that we can know what is there it is not something that you arrive at by reason although It is reasonable. And that's what Paul asserts in verse 4 and verse 5. When you read this, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He's saying basically, first of all, that this must be self-evident to you if you have read what I have so far written. And what he has so far written, he refers to as mystery. And if you were here last week, you recall that I said, that in Paul's mind, this phrase mystery here is not speaking about something mysterious, something that you cannot describe, something that you cannot put into words. That's not what he means. What he means by the word mystery is simply something that was previously hidden, but has now been revealed. That's all he means. And thankfully, he actually says it In our text, he says there the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery of Christ? Well, thankfully, he has said at the end of verse 2, Rather, at the end of verse 3, as I have written briefly, as I have written briefly. In other words, if we can go to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Ephesians, we can then ask ourselves the question, can this be arrived at through logical reasoning? Can it? For instance, in the first half of chapter 1, he teaches about the Father's electing love that took place in eternity when he chose those that he would save and predetermined their end. He also speaks about the the son's redeeming work when he came and died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And in that death, He was actually paying the price, the total price, for those whom the Father had chosen in eternity and given to the Son. He also speaks about the Spirit's regenerating work as it gets closer to verse 15, how the Spirit of God is sent into the world In order to give new life to those who are dead. In fulfillment of what the Son has done. In fulfillment of the choosing of the Father. There it is. And that's the way in which we come to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes from eternity to the cross to your historical moment when the Lord saves you and from there seals you for eternity that you might finally be with him in glory. The question is, which brilliant mind would have arrived at that? Who? Nobody. It had to be revealed. Let's go on. Towards the end of chapter 1, all the way into chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about knowing God's power that works in the lives of believers in order to defeat sin and finally bring them to heaven. And he says it is that same power that God exerted when he was raising Jesus Christ From the dead. But it doesn't end with the working of God's Son and the working of God's Spirit in your individual life. He also, in chapter 2, speaks about the working of God's own Son and the working of God's own Spirit in bringing about a united body, one church, in the whole of the globe between Jew and Gentile, and between every conceivable ethnic group. He has done that. So that whereas as today, our globe, even the continent of Africa, when you read it, it's got all these boundaries, all these boundaries, basically saying, we belong here, we belong there, we belong there. You don't belong to us, you you belong that side, and so on. Even on the continent itself. But when you come to the church, it is one church. Not just across Africa. Throw in Asia, throw in Europe, throw in the Americas, throw in Australia, and so on. It is one church. You can go anywhere in the world you will find that your family is there. Done again by the power of God. I pause. Who would have arrived at that? Who logically would have said, this is how we are going to do it? We have tried. Humanly speaking, to speak in terms of United Africa, United States, United this, United that. But when you get there, it's fragmented. Then you come to this one church. Jesus Christ, by his blood and by his spirit, has brought all this together. The Apostle Paul is basically bringing out the fact that this is God. Who has revealed the way in which he has done so? It was hidden from the past, from previous generations, but God has now revealed it. It is there. He's spoken it to us, and we have written it down as you are able to read here. We have written it down for you. Now, there's no doubt that when you read the Old Testament, there were hints there. The prophets of the Old Testament could see something of this and consequently would would write them down. But they did not have the full revelation for them to see exactly what God was speaking about. And that's the reason why when the apostles were writing, they would often quote the Old Testament prophets. And they would argue, therefore, that ultimately, this is not something new that we have developed. This is something that was previously in the womb, so you could only sort of feel it a little bit, but has now been fully made manifest. It's now come out of the womb. You can now relate, you can see, you can become beneficiaries of this. He has revealed this. To whom? Well, Paul says, to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. Again and again, I make this point that that's why you can't have apostles and prophets today You can't. Otherwise, they will be continuing to reveal this mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ. Where will it end? Rather, this is a revelation that was made as the New Testament church was beginning. It was beginning and there was need finally to write down this revelation. Friends, it has been written down. To borrow the words of Paul again here. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. I've written it down. When You read this. It's written down. Your role is that of reading. And that's the reason why today's so called prophets and so called apostles, the most they can do is predict football matches and predict wrongly. That's the most they can do. Because there's nothing more to add. The revelation has been given. And the sooner we realize it, the better. The truths were once upon a time in types and shadows. Now they are written plainly. Oh, brethren, that we might rejoice in what has been revealed. That's our role, to rejoice in what has been revealed. Our job is not... to to be chasing after these so-called apostles and prophets in stadiums or wherever they might be in hopes that they might now be revealing something. No. Simple. Read your Bible and rejoice in what is now yours. It has been fully revealed. It's yours. Say. And then celebrate it. God forbid that we should have closed Bibles because we are so busy chasing after mice when there are these great and glorious truths that God was pleased to make known at a certain point in history to this generation, and we are beneficiaries of it. I hope you realize just how privileged we are today to have that New Testament on our laps. I hope you realize this. That for, for thousands of years, your predecessors, your ancestors, did not have this information. They didn't. In fact, at one time, it was the... the one unique nation called the Israelites. They alone had the types and shadows, the background to this. The law given through Moses. They're the only ones who had it. The rest of us were surviving by common sense that was not common at all. But it has pleased the Lord Some 2,000 years ago plus, to break into history and to say to us, this is what the types and shadows were all about. I now send my son, this is what he has done, and this is the background for all. I want to say again, brethren, let us learn to rejoice in this. But let's move on. What's the content of this mystery? This mystery is about God's ultimate, universal agenda to have one body saved in Christ. To have one Body saved in Christ. This is Paul's second accession. Let's read it in uh, verse 6. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The point there is that we who are Gentiles are fellow heirs through the gospel with the Jews. An heir is basically an inheritor of possessions because of a relationship that he has with the owner. That's, that's what an heir is. An heir is somebody who it is a matter of time. He is going to be in possession of that which is the property that belongs to another. And the Apostle Paul had mentioned something a little earlier in um Chapter 2 and verse 12, speaking about those of us who are Gentiles. Chapter 2 and verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the common wealth. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day when commonwealths in our minds, speaks about Britain and other countries, they colonized. That word there has got nothing to do with what happened in those days. It is simply a wealth that we have in common. That's all it is. A wealth that we have in common. It's like if your parents die, they leave you as a family with wealth. It is wealth that you have together in common. That's basically all he's talking about here. That we Gentiles were alienated. We we had nothing to do with that wealth that was held in common by the Israelites. We were strangers to the covenants of promise and therefore having no hope, and without God in the world. So that's where we were, and notice he said, at that time. What about now? Well, now he says that we are what? Fellow heirs. I hope you've seen that in verse 6. That we are now, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. In other words, previously, we were like um, those who were in the wider family, but not necessarily in this family. And so, when the death occurs, we can simply watch as others are sharing this common wealth because. We actually did not belong. But what he's saying here is that God has done something. And it is this. He has gone to the law courts of heaven and he has asked for the printout for where to write those who will inherit his possessions. And there, where at one time it only had the word Israelites or Jews, he has added and Gentiles. He has added that. So, we now are entitled, like any Israelite, we are entitled to that. Inheritance. That inheritance. We are not outsiders. No. And therefore, if we can go back to that image, the parents have died, and the will is being read out, the document is produced, and our names are there. We're not natural children in that family, but we've been added, deliberately added by the act of the one who has since passed on. That's the picture that is being brought out here. That that God has revealed that we, we are no longer to be in the outer court of the temple. Individuals who feel that at least we are privileged enough to have been allowed to, to enter this temple, but we are only In the outer court, he's saying, that's no longer the case. We are as entitled as any Jew would have been entitled to this. And you know that he's just repeating what he had said in chapter uh, 2, isn't it? Because there, he made the point, and I'll simply read verse 13 and then skip to the latter part, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So first of all, it's what Jesus did on the cross when he died that has now broken down the barrier and brought you in. Verse 17 And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit. There it is, the Spirit of God has also come into the picture to the Father. And listen to this, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are no longer outsiders but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built, again the apostles and prophets come in there, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ just himself being the cornerstone. You now belong. The entire Bible is yours. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's yours. You're not an outsider. And the promises of God are yours. That which awaits the Jews in time and in eternity is yours. You're not going to be in the sidelines or in the stadium, in the VIP section or everybody else's section, watching what's happening down in the field, you are also there down in the field. You belong. It is all yours, because we are now one body in Christ. Let's go back to the text. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. It's sad that sometimes, you know Christian churches easily. Go into that same mindset of, you know, as they're looking into the future and all they're seeing is, yeah, this is what's going to happen to the Jews and this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. And they're sort of there watching. No, friends. This is what's going to happen to the church to which Jews and Gentiles belong. There is one body. Don't divide. There's one body. Why? Christ has died. He's paid the penalty. He's opened a brand new door. In his body, Jews and Gentiles come on exactly the same terms. And that's what Paul was often persecuted for. When you tell even the Jews that they too must repent and believe in Jesus. They wanted him dead. So what is this that we are partakers of? And I want to end there. We are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I want to reduce all that to a simple phrase to make it easy. Then we'll look at three passages of scripture. And it's simply this. We are partakers of eternal life. That's all the promise of eternal life. Now, we often think of eternal life as that which we get when we get converted, which is true. Upon your conversion, you do get eternal life. But it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. That life is a full, glorious life indescribable life with all the promises of God realized in eternity. That's what it's going to be. Let me try and quickly prove that to you. Let's quickly go to Galatians, which is uh, the book just before this. Galatians and uh, chapter 3. My interest is in verse 29, but let me begin with verse 27 because what Paul is doing there is again simply making the point that the two are together. The two are together, Jews and Gentiles. In Christ, you are one. So let me begin with... um, Yeah, I'll keep going backwards. Maybe verse 26. I'll discipline myself. I won't go beyond verse 26. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, notice not into water, but into Christ, have put on Christ. And here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This universal agenda of God, bringing all of us to become one in Christ. And then here it is. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's a promise that was made to Abraham at the very beginning. Initially, you would have thought it was only to the children he was going to get through Isaac, and then through Jacob, and then the 12 tribes. But what we are learning here is that through your offspring, actually the offspring is Christ. And through that offspring, those of us who have repented and believed in him, we are together heirs. What a glorious truth. So when he is going to, that is Abraham, receive all that God has promised, we are partakers of that as well. Let's quickly go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, just before Hebrews. Titus chapter 3, or before Philemon, but it's even more difficult to find Philemon, isn't it? So just before Philemon and before Hebrews. Titus and chapter 3. It's a small letter that comprises just two... Two sides of uh, one leaf. So I'll be patient as you search for it. Titus chapter 3 and uh, verse 7. He says there, um, I begin from verse 6, about the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, Okay, so that's how we come in. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there it is, we we come in and although we do possess eternal life when we believe, we still have so much more of that eternal life that lies ahead of us that it becomes our hope, something we are looking forward to, the possession that that property, if I could use that phrase, that lies ahead, we look forward to it. And then finally, um, James chapter 2, very practical book, but mentions in passing that we should not ill-treat one another based on economic circumstances because we are all together as one Heading to the same property. James chapter 2 and verse 5. James 2 verse 5. Listen, my, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And here it is, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him the answer is he has. He has. So it's lying ahead of us. It's what he has promised. This kingdom that is going to be ours. And what the point he is making is that this is not just for the Jews. It is for the Gentiles whom he has chosen. He makes the point that has not God chosen. It is all fully secured in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ through his shed blood. It's done. It's done. The testator has shed his blood, and consequently it's a matter of time that we will enter into this good news. And what it is is that it has been revealed to us in the gospel the message that the Apostle Paul was preaching, that all that belongs to God is yours in Christ Jesus. It is a matter of time. Brethren, the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. We often get overwhelmed with what we don't have in this world, which our friends have. We get overwhelmed as though we are missing out on something in life. It it eats us away emotionally on the inside. When we don't have this, let's say for 100 years, and then we'll have everything for A million, 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 million years. Come on. You obviously are blind. And this is not just for the Jews or for some other ethnic group that's favored by God. It is all whom he chose in eternity, whom Christ died for, and whom the Spirit regenerated. All of them. It doesn't matter whether it's Jew or Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ. What Paul is saying there is not that you can't search for them, but that you cannot exhaustively search for them. It's God's goodness to us. So, as long as God remains God, and he will, this is where history is going. The reason is quite simple. Our God is in the driving seat. That's where he's taking history. In the midst of all the details that are happening today, that's where he's taking history. Now, if you were in the Old Testament days, you would have been ignorant of this. But friends, we are now in the New Testament. And as Paul said, it has been made abundantly clear. So are you a Christian today? Then it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter doesn't matter whether you were born a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter. You are an heir of God. Yes, you. The creator of the entire universe. The one who owns all things, not only on planet Mars and planet Earth and planet Jupiter and our solar system. But indeed, the entire universe has chosen you and said, all that is mine is going to be yours for all eternity. It does not wear out at all. It doesn't. It's yours. If you're not a Christian today, Sadly, you are heading in the exact opposite direction. You are going to hell instead, where you must burn forever. Yes, you. Whether Jew or Gentile, you. Because this is only yours in Christ Jesus. And he continues to stretch out his hand, saying... Turn from your sins, believe in me, that you may know this promise of God for all eternity, this eternal life. For as the famous verse of the Bible puts it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but he said, possess this same eternal life. So my message to you is quite simple. Come to Christ today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Come to Christ today. Why starve when God has set out this inexhaustible fare of food for you to eat from. Come to Christ today. Abandon all your sin and embrace him. We may not have all the answers to the intricacies of God's world, but one thing is sure, he's in the driving seat. That's where it is going. Make sure you are on it. Even while we are asking all the questions, we don't know how this will happen and we don't know how that will come together. We we don't know this and we don't know that. But we know that we are heirs. And that one day, a throng comprising trillions and trillions and trillions of people will be gathered together to share in the property of god for all eternity in christ you better be there you better be there amen